As most of the world hunkers down at home, the need for energy has tumbled. And the numbers are dramatic. Oil prices are down 66% from a year ago. In the U.S., demand for gasoline is the lowest it's been since 1968. And the average price at the pump has fallen to $1.86. But instead of helping consumers, the lower prices are actually imperiling the entire economy. I'm Alex Yule. Today on The Readback, we're joined by Avi Saltzman, who covers energy for Barron's. Hey, Avi. Hey, Alex. Let's talk about gas prices for a second. We haven't seen numbers like this in years. Ordinarily, we'd love to celebrate low gas prices. Now, barely anyone's even noticing. What's going on? Well, nobody's going to the pump these days. There are not that many people, of course, because uh, we're under stay-at-home orders. So we're in a very strange world right now where gas prices are lower than they've been in years, but nobody's really taking advantage of that. All right, let's get into the reasons why. I mean, some of them, like you've said, are are pretty obvious. People aren't going anywhere, but there are actually a lot of things happening in the background right now that ordinarily would be like the main focus of the markets. So for those of us who haven't been paying quite as much attention to, to the energy markets these days, give us the backdrop. Yes, so really there are two things going on, and and one is related to COVID-19, but the other is actually kind of separate. So oil markets are global, obviously. You know, lots of countries drill for oil all around the world, and the most important players uh, really are Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S., all of which are the only three countries that are, you know, produce, uh, can produce uh, well over 10 million barrels a day of oil, which is a, together, the three of them make up for, I think, more than a third of total oil production. And what happened was Russia and Saudi Arabia about a month ago got in a fight about the amount of supply that they were they were pumping out into the market. They got into a fight over oil? Yeah, you could say that. Oil prices are plunging as producers clash over cutting output. Brent crude fell as much as 9%. They're off. Let's get the latest now on what is happening here and how close these talks are to collapse. Let's go to Vienna and join... How low can oil go? Some traders are definitely seeing the prices heading below $20 a barrel. So oil, like uh, other commodities, it's a supply and demand situation. That determines the price, right? And Saudi Arabia, you know, uh, the most important player in OPEC, has a huge impact on the price. And they've been trying to work with other countries to try to make sure they don't produce too much oil because obviously you have too much supply, not enough demand, and the prices go down. They don't want prices to plunge too much. So about a month ago, they asked Russia to be involved in cutting the amount of production they were doing. Russia said no. And Saudi Arabia said, fine, if you're not going to do it, we're going to flood the market with oil. This was a major decision because Saudi Arabia has that ability. They have an enormous amount of oil and they can access it very cheaply. So they decide to flood the market with oil and prices plunge. Now, at the time, we knew coronavirus was a very serious thing, but did not know at the time that the entire world pretty much would be locked down. Right. We're talking early March, basically. Yeah. This, this point, so right? this is early March. And so you have a market where normally, say last year, people used about 100 million barrels per day of oil. 
Across the world. Yeah, across the world. And countries produced about 100 million barrels a day. And market oil prices uh, have been somewhere between, say, 40 bucks and 70 bucks in the past few years. They actually fell below 20 bucks a couple of weeks ago because things were so disconnected. Now, if you're drilling for oil, you can't make money at those prices. You know, you have to hire a whole fleet of people, you have to get the equipment. And in a lot of countries, that would essentially mean you either throw money down that oil well, you know, or you have to just stop drilling. And so there was like the ripple effects were enormous uh, to the point where people were concerned this would destroy, you know, more than a third of the U.S. oil market. You know, U.S. oil has become a major industry. We're now the number one producer, just slightly ahead of Saudi Arabia. And people thought, well, the U.S., which has higher costs to drill, was about to be completely washed out, potentially millions of jobs lost in the oil industry. And, and so, you know, that, that's sort of what's led us to this very strange moment. So when we think about oil, I mean, you, the U.S. has become a much bigger player. We really tend to think about the Middle East in terms of oil producing countries. There's this unusual situation brewing in Texas where a local official has found himself actually at the center of the energy universe. Tell us a little bit more about him. Sure. So I talked to Ryan Sidden. He's a commissioner with the Texas Railroad Commission. You know, this is a regulator that, you know, obviously like it, it's, it's involved in railroads, but it's also involved in oil. You know, this is the funny thing about U.S. markets. So in global markets, the government has a heavy hand in production. In the U.S., generally, it's, it's just not like that. Producers, you know, you have a well, you have a machine, go for it. So in Texas, they have this mechanism with this Texas Railroad Commission where they actually have control over how much each producer can produce. They don't use that control for the most part, and, and Ryan said it's very much a free market guy, he tells me. Uh, at the same time, they have the ability to make across-the-board cuts to production for the state, and that's something they're actually in the process of debating right now. He told me that, you know, in a normal year, he might go to conferences, maybe he'll end up meeting an intermediary from another country involved in oil, but he's not involved in negotiations. Now he's suddenly talking to energy ministers all over the world. This guy from Texas. Yeah, this guy from Texas Railroad Commission is suddenly sort of at the center of a you know pretty fascinating debate over oil prices and actually negotiating. So he isn't necessarily a strict proponent of, of cutting production, but he thinks we need to at least be considering it at a time like this. And, and that sort of creates this fascinating conflict, right? President Trump has criticized OPEC about, you know, their heavy-handed role in the oil market in the past. All of a sudden, there's the prospect of the U.S. becoming a heavy-handed government body telling oil companies what to produce, how much to produce. And that's sort of an incredible debate to be having because it's not something you'd think would be happening in the United States. Yeah, well, it's fascinating, right? Because so much of our free market thinking, it feels like currently is being is up for debate, whether it's energy, healthcare, food supplies. I mean, we're at this point where the government is having to step in and put in control. So I guess the oil market may be just one more example of that. Yeah. And, and you know, so, so what I think uh, Ryan Sidden and, and, and what Trump and Trump has obviously been involved in a lot of these global negotiations much more aggressively in the past few days is 
you know, we need to quote unquote stabilize the market now. We, you know, countries need to cut production so that oil doesn't go to say single digits and a lot of jobs end up being lost. If we stabilize markets now, maybe that'll save the free market for later. I, I, you know, I think that that's debatable. The question is, first of all, are they even going to cut enough? You know, the, the devastation right now to the economy is so enormous. There's probably no chance that these companies are going to cut enough, at least for the next month or two months. Second of all, you know, should the government essentially be working to stabilize companies that maybe were too heavily indebted, can't drill at cheap enough prices, and maybe they should go out of business if they're the worst operators in their industry. So that's kind of the question that's being raised right now. So this past weekend, we finally did get some kind of movement on the fight between Russia, Saudi Arabia, um, and the rest of the world. Give us an update on where we are in terms of production. Is everyone now getting along? Yeah, I mean, they're getting along over over uh, Zoom, at least. Uh, <laughs> you know. Just like the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, all these countries had a meeting over teleconference, and they had to work out a lot of things, uh, and they were not in the same room as each other. Uh, you know, these, these are the strange times we live in. There was, at the end, a uh, kind of truce called between Russia and Saudi Arabia in particular. Both of those countries will be cutting uh, more than 2 million barrels worth of production as part of an overall deal that cuts about 10 million barrels. Okay. And uh, a larger group of countries that includes the U.S. is, is going to cut potentially about 4 million more. Trump says the number may be even more. It depends on how you do the math. But, you know, in the short term, it's kind of stabilized the market. So let's say uh, back of the envelope math, let's say, you know, the, the announced deals take about 14 million barrels of oil off the market. Demand, let's say, has dropped 25 million. Maybe in a month, it will only have dropped about 15 million, right? The market's kind of, it's, it could come into balance, say, in the next two or three months. And by balance, I mean supply and demand aren't too far off from each other. So that would ostensibly mean that you're going to have prices stabilize a little bit. So far, that's, that's mostly happened. Uh, prices are still really low, but they haven't gone into single digits or anything. Those are prices that aren't great for any oil producers, but they're not necessarily the kind of prices you're going to have uh, immediate large-scale bankruptcies. So basically, we've, we're still down, I think, like 66% from a year ago, but we've perhaps now avoided the worst case scenario. I, th I think that's fair to say. Uh, obviously, you know, we're going to see how things go over the next couple of months. Uh, hopefully, also COVID-19, uh, we find a way to stabilize the disease and the economy. But obviously, that's a big unknown too. So it's hard to say anything stabilized right now. But you can say that in the short term, it doesn't look like oil prices are falling off a cliff anymore. One thing about the energy sector that I think is so interesting is there are a lot of companies in it that, of course, are really important to the economy, but they're also really important to certain people's portfolios, especially retirees and people looking for income, because these companies like, like Exxon and Chevron pay pretty generous dividends, right? And, and that's income that, that people have come to depend on. So what, is, what does this mean 
for those people and for these kind of income starved investors? Yeah, I think that's a big debate right now. In general, investors have been shunning oil stocks. They just haven't been great investments for the past decade. But but obviously, as prices have come down, some of these stocks, I think, look more interesting to investors. You know, there's uh, oil use, I think, over, over the long term is going to go down because of uh, efforts to stop climate change. But I think for the next couple of decades, you know, there's going to be still substantial demand these big companies are still going to be needed to power various economies. And what about their dividends? I mean, are those safe at this point? So uh, th- there's a pretty hot debate about that as well. Uh, a company like Exxon, you know, obviously the biggest, uh, the biggest in the U.S., it has an 8% dividend yield. You know, you, you put in 100 bucks, you're going to get 8 bucks a year in dividends. Pretty good in this age. Yeah, th- that's obviously a pretty sweet yield. I think they've been getting, though, a lot some negative attention from ratings agencies. They're not covering that dividend with the money they make from oil drilling. So what they're going to have to do is, you know, they sell assets or they take on debt uh, in order to pay it. That's not a great situation. Uh, it definitely makes uh, makes people a little nervous, but they do still have good ratings from credit rating agencies, so they can still raise money. You know, the question is, in the long term, can they hold on to that dividend? Uh, uh, the company that I think people ha- are a little more comfortable with is Chevron, which is a little better right now at making enough money from drilling and all its other operations to cover the dividend. But that dividend looks a little safer at the current moment. Okay, well, Avi, thanks so much for joining us and take good care and be healthy. Thanks, you too, Alex. To read all of Avi's reporting on energy and the oil markets, check out barons.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff and Katie Ferguson. We'll be back next week.